Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And the title of my message today is, Is It Me? Is it, is it me? Uh, that's probably the appropriate way to say it. I wonder if you have ever been in a situation, maybe in, in a work environment where you, you know, they had this moment where they gathered up all of the employees, you know, the supervisor, the manager, whoever, and they put you in a room or a space or a hallway together. And they had like a little impromptu meeting. And as they're meeting, they're like, hey, we just want to let you guys know about a new policy, just a little something that we want to do or we want to tighten up on. And the more they talk, the more you're like, is this about me? Have you ever had that moment before? You're just like, they could have just come to me. They didn't need to get 30 people to stand around. They could have just pulled me in the office and had this conversation. And you're studying like the eye movement that they're making and how much eye contact. And like, if they give you too much, it's definitely about you. If they don't give you any, it's definitely about you. You know what I mean? And you just start to feel paranoid, right? I remember when, uh, when I was in college, I worked a bunch of different odd jobs because I was trying to save money for an engagement ring. And, uh, and one of the places I worked was at a Mexican restaurant called Don Pablo's. And uh, I, I love this place. And they, they uh, I mean, of course, I was living in the capital of what you think of when you think of Mexican food, Iowa. And so it's the, definitely the place to go. And I, you know, mid-college age and, you know, and so we didn't, okay. <laughs> we didn't need to put up the, the photo. I, when I look at this photo, this is really what I look like then. I had this haircut, um, this, but it, it, it looks to me like the photo they put up on the news where they're just like, we are still trying to track down the suspect. We're not sure. He's wanted a connection with a shooting, maybe some kidnappings. We're not totally sure. Um, so, I, so I, this guy, was working at this restaurant. And I remember one day they, they gathered us all in the back of the kitchen. They're just like, listen, um, just as a reminder, you know, every once in a while we let you guys do like comps, which is where they let you give somebody something free. And like a cheese dip was like the most common comp that you would give if somebody didn't like their meal or had a complaint or something. And they're like, people are getting carried away with the comps. You need to reel in the comps. These are the issues. And they're kind of going on and on about it. And I'm looking around, I'm like, is this about me? You know, because I've definitely given out my fair share of cheese dips, okay? My parents come in, my grandparents, uh, really anybody I thought I could get a good tip from, they are getting a free cheese dip. And I'm feeling like nervous about it. And I feel like the more it goes on, I'm like, I'm getting angry. I'm like, why didn't they just come to me? Why didn't they just pull me aside? Why do they got to do it in front of the cooks and everybody? And everyone's looking around. I feel like they're looking at me and they're thinking about me. And, and, and it's bothering me so much. I'm in my head so much about it that finally I just disrupt the meeting. And I'm just like, okay, I get it. You could have just told me to my face. Why you got to bring all these people in on it? Okay. Like, yeah, I gave away a lot of cheese dips last weekend, okay? You could just say, you could just pull me aside and just say, Adam, don't give out so much cheese dips. Maybe, maybe kick in some of your tip money to pay back all of the vats of cheese that you've given away for free. We make money on the cheese. You can't just give it to people, all right? And so I get it. I'm sorry. And it got real quiet. And the assistant manager who was running the, the meeting was only like a couple years older than me was like, Okay. I didn't actually know that you did that, but, um, yeah, we can talk about that later. And I was like, <laughs> nah, I, didn't, I was just joking. <laughs> no. And he pulled me aside later and was like, did you really give out like, you know, all these cheese dips? And I was like, yeah, I was super sorry about that. He's like, yeah, I was talking about a different thing. People were giving out full meals out the back. And I was like, what? You can get away with that. And they're like, well, no, you can't. That's what the meeting was about. <laughs> Are you not paying attention to anything? And according to this photo, I was not. I was not paying attention to anything that was going on. Just trying to get that ring money. I was like, how do I trick this girl into marrying me before she figures out what's going on, okay? And the reason why I bring this up is because I think we have all had, you know, situations where we automatically assume the worst about something that was happening or something that somebody was doing or something that someone was saying. And then you know, when we, when we got like into it, we realized like, oh, that wasn't at all. I was totally wrong. And maybe like me, it wasn't even the, what the person was doing, 
but it was why you thought they were doing it. There's really nothing wrong with somebody like pulling everybody out and being like, hey, this is what a policy is. The thing that made it wrong for me was that I thought they were doing it as this passive aggressive way of trying to put me in my place and like pull all my stuff up to the surface and I couldn't have been more wrong. And it was really awkward and embarrassing to find that out the hard way. But I think we all have these moments in our lives. And I wonder if when it happens to you, while the other person is talking, you are having this whole other conversation inside of your head. And you are telling yourself things like, I mean, why are they mad at me? I guess they're mad at me. I don't know. I can't. What did I do? Like, are they just trying to hurt me? Is that why they're going after this so hard right now? Like, they don't even care. They're making this decision. They don't even care how it affects me. They don't care about my feelings or what's going on with me. They probably aren't even telling me the whole story, okay? They're, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this for this reason. That's not the real reason. There's a whole other course of reasons, and they're not telling me, and I'm going to get to the bottom of it because I'm an amateur sleuth, okay? They're hiding something. And also, they never believed in me, okay? And I don't even know that they like me, which is part of the reason why they're doing all this. I wonder if you've ever found yourself having entire conversations with yourself about what's going on while it's going on. Anybody? And, and what I find is that on occasion, you know, sometimes the monologue is so loud inside of you that you lose focus on the dialogue in front of you. So like eventually they'll just be like, yeah, and so that's what happened. What do you think? And you're just like, and suddenly like something shifts inside of your mind and you're like, uh-oh, I was not listening for the past five minutes. I've just been judging you and plotting your death. You know what I mean? Because you had a whole other thing happening in there. And now you've got to sort of backtrack and figure out where you are. And the most infuriating part about this, at least when it happens to me, is I'm not trying to do it. It's just happening. Right? Like I'm, I'm approached, I'm confronted, something happens, somebody does something, somebody says something, and suddenly my brain, uninvited, it just launches into this whole thing inside of my mind. And it always costs me. There's always a price that I end up paying for listening to it. And I wonder if you've ever gotten to the other side of something, you, you gained a little bit more perspective, accurate perspective on the situation, and you sort of you start taking inventory on, on everything that being wrong robbed you of. And it starts to add up to a lot of sadness. Like, man, I wasted three days being so nervous for no reason. Like, what could I have done with that time? Like, how could I have spent that in a million other ways? I've been treating this person horribly, like really bad. And as it turns out, like, I totally misunderstood. It was innocent. Like, what happened was actually way different than what I thought was going on. I said some things about that person to more people than I'm proud of. I mean, I trashed them, and it turns out they don't even deserve it because that actually isn't an accurate picture of what was going on. And to top all that off, I was so anxious. I felt sick to my stomach. I couldn't sleep. I'm like laying in bed awake at night. I yelled at my kids, and it wasn't even about them. And I broke my diet again. None of these things our benefit. I don't want to do it, so why do we do it? Why do you do this? Maybe because you haven't always been wrong. Because, you know, chances are you've been betrayed before, haven't you? I think part of the reason that a lot of us are vigilant now is that we weren't in the past and we got hurt. And when that happened, in the aftermath of that, we told ourselves, I am never gonna let that happen again. And maybe it's working. Maybe it has also made you so suspicious of everything that you find it really, really difficult to get close to anyone. And here's the thing that I want you to really understand about relationships and the way that relationships work. Our relational happiness isn't as much about what's happening as it is what we tell ourselves about what's happening. In other words, it's not really as much about the words that are being said, but the meaning that you are assigning to the words that they're saying. 
It's not really as much about what they did or what they're doing, but how you are perceiving what it is that they're doing and the motive that you assign to it behind the scenes. So, you know, what do you do if you start to suspect that what you are telling yourself about a relationship is the thing that's wrecking that relationship? What do you do then? Like, could it be, could it actually be that your paranoia surrounding something bad happening is what's creating the circumstances that are causing that thing to happen? And if that's true, is it possible for us to see ourselves and the situations we're living in accurately? Or are some of us, we're just, are we just condemned to live in constant anxiety? I mean, what, what would it even look like? What would healthy conflict look like with someone close to you, for them to clash with or confront you and then not completely unravel you. How would you even do that? How would it work? If that's not your impulse, how do you get there? Now, these are good questions. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to answer them all, at least not today, right now. Some of you are like, well, then you shouldn't have asked them, jerk, okay? Because now I need to know. But here, here's the thing. I, I think that there are a few scenes from the life of Jesus that really do give us a lot of incredible insight uh, about this, this topic. Uh, insight into the, the way that we can maybe um, do this exact thing in a really healthy way. And there are scenes from a relationship that he had with one of his closest friends and followers, this guy named Peter. And I want to just unpack a few of these scenes with you and make some observations that I think could help you move forward in a healthier way. The first little snippet is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And it's Jesus talking to his disciples. And this is what happens. He took a dramatic drink from his mug and he said, (laughs) Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Well, They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they're like, we, I mean, I don't know. General consensus is like, maybe you're a reincarnation of these other like incredible figures of faith, which of course brings up all kinds of like insane questions about what these people think about all that stuff. Verse 15 says this, then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed. Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. And now I say, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. What a powerful, like, turn of phrase. Now, there is so much going on here. Like, there's a lot of complex theology Uh, that we could mine from this passage, and we will uh, someday. But today, I want to zoom in on what's happening relationally. Because Jesus is Peter's mentor, right? He left everything to follow Jesus, and Jesus asked this really big question, and Peter sort of steps up and boldly and bravely, you know, answers. And when he does, Jesus is like, yes, that's right, you, you get it. Like God is showing you things, you're special, and I am gonna build my entire movement on this moment. How great would that have felt? I mean, imagine that you're Peter. Like how incredible would it have been that you like put yourself out there and you like really respect this mentor and they're just like, that's right, yes, you're doing it, right? And you would just be like, <laughs> I told you fools. You know what I mean? Like you would feel so good about yourself because we all want affirmation, especially from those close to us, Um, even more so from those we really respect. And Jesus is laying on thick. He's telling Peter everything that Peter ever wanted to hear from him. And you have this in your life, right? You have certain people where you're like, man, if they would just say, if they would just express, if I could just get them to admit or to say or encourage or affirm this, man, that's everything that I need. I'm looking for, I want. And this is happening for Peter in this moment. He had to be like flying high. And those words would have meant a lot coming from anyone, but I think especially from him. Because the reality of it is certain words from certain people are more impactful. 
And part of it is because of who they are. And part of it is because of who they are to us. And those are two different things. Sometimes it's because they have status or they have stature or they're well-respected or we want to be like them, right? Sometimes it's because we have this intimate relationship with them and we want them to approve of us and to accept us and to see us for how we want to be seen, hopefully for who we really are. And I bet you can remember certain things that certain people said to you in your life that, you know, may have done different things to you. Maybe some of them inspired and encouraged you. Maybe some of those things that you still remember completely crushed you. And it wasn't really just what was said. Because somebody else could have said or done that same thing, and it wouldn't have had as big of an impact. It was about who they were and who they were to you. Those words in their mouth was the weightiest thing you could have ever felt. I mean, if you're, some, if you're like an aspiring chef, you know what I mean? And you're just like, I'm going to make some salmon mac and cheese. And you make some salmon mac and cheese and you bring it to an outdoor picnic. This is a bad idea just from the get-go, right? <laughs> and somebody tastes it and they're just like, this is disgusting. This isn't even as good as craft. And you're just like, who are you? And they're just like, I'm just a homeless person who lives here, right? Um, and you would just be like, I don't. I don't know that you are the gourmet cook whose opinion that I'm going to take seriously. Also, I apologize for making you sick with this fish that's been sitting out in the park, right? (laughs) On the flip side, right, if you're an aspiring chef and, like, randomly, you know, uh, David Chung, the guy from, like, Ugly Delicious on Netflix and Momofuku, he walks up and he, like, tastes it and he's like, this just blew my mind. And he sits down with you and he's like, you have something special here. I want to invest in you. I believe in you, right? And you would tell that story for the rest of your life. That would be the story on your deathbed. We're like, did I ever tell you, kids? And you're like, yes, the time with the salmon maggot. We get it, Grandpa. Why? Because of who he is. Because of who you want to be. Because of his ability to speak into that, of guide you along that path. Maybe it would have even meant as much if your grandmother who first taught you how to cook, right, is like, this is amazing. You have grown into such an inventive chef, right? It, it would boost you in a way that you can't even entirely express. And that's what's happening in this moment with Peter. It was probably one of the greatest moments of his entire life. And yet this is not the whole of their relationship, right? Because relationships are not just one thing. They're a bunch of things, especially when we're really close with those people. So there's more to the story. Here's another scene that happens like right after that scene. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 says this. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, that he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter... He's feeling real confident right now. He took him aside and began to reprimand him saying, um, for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord. I, don't, I always picture it like he's a southern belle. Is that weird? It's just maybe it's heaven forbid. Heaven's to Betsy, right? I don't, maybe that's just me. It makes it more fun. This will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Think of how abrasive that would have felt in the moment, right? Like we're, we're a couple, some of you are good at counting. You're like, we're only like a few verses away from you're the rock. You're, I'm going to build everything on the, and you're just like, that's so great. And then like, you know, it's like 10 minutes later, it's like, Satan, you get out of here right? Your head's spinning, right? You're like, what in the world? On the surface, it seems really offensive. Maybe it is. I mean, if someone said that to you, what conclusion would you jump to? I mean, I feel like I would have been like, you know what? I quit, okay? I never even wanted to be a disciple, all right? You recruited me. I didn't apply for this, okay? I was fine. I was doing great. I was down. I was fishing. I was catching stuff. I was going to maybe turn it into some salmon mac and cheese. I don't know. I got dreams, Jesus. You came and found me. You pulled me into this thing, and I'm just trying to help. And then you're yelling. I didn't know that was going to make you mad. Why are you freaking out right now? This is so... I don't, I don't have to put up with this. This is the way a lot of us deal with things, isn't it? In our current cancel culture, right, this is how we treat a lot of things. Like if somebody pushes back against us or questions us or contradicts us, we're like, I'm done with you. 
How dare you not agree with me on everything? We'll never be friends. Now, we don't have like a lot of information about what's going on in Peter's mind, but it doesn't really look like this conversation, you know, unravels him. He definitely didn't react in the way that, that most of us would be tempted to. And some of that, I think, is, is a little bit context, right? Because when you hear Satan, something comes to mind, right? When you hear Satan, you probably think of like a big, red, muscular being, you know, lording over. You. Yes, this. You think of this. Is it weird that I had that belt in high school? Listen, I got a gift card to Hot Topic. I had to spend on something. We don't need to talk about it, guys. Like, we think of this, right? We think that this is what's happening. But this isn't really entirely what is being referenced here. In this context, um, you know, Satan is really less a title and more a turn of phrase. Satan literally means tempter or adversary, right? Jesus is, is, is referencing him of like, you are acting in a way that is tempting to me, right? You, I know you don't mean to. You are working against me right now. I know you think you're helping. This is not helpful. Good intentions, bad execution. This is not, no, okay? And I, I, gotta, I gotta call it out. I gotta tell you that it's, it's not working. And the easiest way to cut to the heart of that was to like leverage a phrase or a nickname that immediately is just like, oh my gosh, am I being like that? I mean, imagine if you were somewhere with your mom and, and like you were eating and she was, and she was like, I can't believe we're waiting this long in this line. I'm going to, I'm going to call the manager. And you're like, okay, Karen. And she was like, oh, you wouldn't really meet your mom's name is not Karen. And if she is, I'm sorry, that's rough, right? During this season. But you're like, you, you represent an ideal, like you've taken on the traits of something that's standing in the way of what we're trying to accomplish, of something I don't want to be associated with in this moment. And can I just tell you that, you know, often what people say to us reveals more about them than us. And I wonder if this thought surfaces in your mind when you are peeling apart things that are happening to you, things that people are saying to you, things that you don't like about what's going on. I wonder if, you know, when someone says something that offends or frustrates or upsets you, how often do you stop and sort of ask yourself like, man, I wonder, I wonder what they're feeling. I wonder what they're facing. I wonder what they're carrying or wrestling with that I'm not even aware of in this moment. I wonder what is causing or contributing in their life to this reaction in this moment. And, and I gotta tell you, the, the answer may not excuse what they did, but it will give you insight into why they did it. And that insight will enable you to have empathy. As opposed to you against them, it's like, oh man, I think if I were in that situation, I don't know that I would have reacted all that differently, even though it hurt me. Think about it in the context of this story. What was Jesus going through? A couple little things. How about the fact that he was the only one who actually really knew that he was about to take on the sins of the entire world, every person who had ever been and ever will be, and he was going to carry that weight on his shoulders. He would be betrayed by his very best friends. He would die an excruciating death while being rejected by everyone at once so that he could save the world. I mean, I've been stressed. I've never had that level of stress. That's a lot. And the disciples are not even aware that this is going on. In fact, every time that he tried to tell them, the stress of what he's carrying and where he's going, they're just like, what? They couldn't wrap their mind around it. They couldn't understand it. And when we don't understand what's going on with someone, it's so easy just to make up a story on our own, isn't it? And a lot of times that story revolves around us. If I don't know why you did that and why you said that, if I don't know what's going on with you, it must just be about the two of us and it must be mostly about me. 
when I was a kid, about in about seventh grade, I was obsessed with basketball. I, I just like couldn't get enough of it. Tried out for the team, and they were like, "We see you more as like a water boy, um, you know, over here, or like you can do the laundry," um, which was not the role that I was wanting at the time. And but I still love to like play and practice and all that sort of stuff. And so um, I, every single day, I'm like without fail that whole year. My dad would get home from work about five thirty or six. And I would, I would ask him, I would beg him. Now that I'm a parent, I'm like, I realized what I was doing. I was harassing him. I was harassing him about playing driveway basketball with me. And I was just like, man, dad, please, you've got, I want, I would like, I would be ready. I would, I would start doing all the things. Like I would have water put out. I would have the, his shoes out. You know what I mean? I'm just like, just change right here. Right? If, I, if, I, if you go inside, I'm going to lose you. You know what I mean? Like I, and I just want to, and I would tell you, Way more times he said no than he said yes. Probably maybe once a week. He always seemed like, ugh. Like it was just like he knew it was coming, but he just didn't, and he, he wasn't going to do it, but he, and he knew he was going to have to face me. And, and it was always something that I would, like, I, I, I get it, it's cool. And I would, I would stand in the driveway, I would just shoot baskets by myself. And I, I was always bummed about it. And the, the, I, didn't, I never really understood, like, what was happening when you're in seventh grade, like everything is about you. Everything is about you. You know what I thought? I thought my dad doesn't want to shoot baskets with me because he doesn't like me. Like I want to do this thing that I like and I thought he liked. We always seem to be having so much fun when we're doing it and he doesn't want to and I can't think of any reasons. And so since there are no reasons except for this, it must be this and this is... Like, I, I need to be better. I need to be different. I'm not what he wanted. I tell you, like, that left an imprint on me. I carried that thing around for so long. A few years ago, I, my dad asked if uh, we could take a train trip together. And we flew up to Seattle, and we got on this Amtrak train, and we rode all the way down to, to Riverside. And... I mean, it's just, a, it is what it sounds like. You're just on a train for hours on end. <laughs> I left all this room for my dad and I just to like talk about things in life. And, you know, you very quickly, all the stuff gets out of the way that you, that you know how to talk about. And then all that's left is all this deep stuff that's been unsaid. And I worked up the courage to just say like, I, in seventh grade, I did this thing and I, I stopped asking you to do stuff because I thought you didn't, like me, do you remember that? Like what was going on and what did I do that made you not want to be around me? And my dad looked at me really confused and he was like, oh, that, that wasn't about you. That was one of the worst years of my entire life. I was going through a really dark depression. I don't know if you remember, but I lost my job. I had to get three other jobs to replace the income. I wasn't sleeping at night. Your mom and I were fighting all the time. I had five kids I needed to feed and clothe. I thought we were gonna lose the house. And I had entire weeks where I could barely get out of bed in the morning. It had nothing to do with you. I'm sorry. I can tell you, like, there's this massive weight that lifted off my shoulders of like, oh. not realizing there was so much more to the story. Like just having that information brought such repair to my relationship with my father. Like what if, what if there were way more to the story than what you can see or know or understand? And, and what if a lot of that has very little to do with you? What if you started making less assumptions about it revolving around you? I wonder if for some of you, it would completely free you from a weight that you've been carrying that you are not designed to. One thing I love about this story, Jesus confronts Peter's actions without questioning his motives. Because Peter has really great intentions like he's just, he wants to do the right thing. He's just not very helpful. 
It's not malicious, right? It's just, it's more ignorant and accidental. But just because you don't mean to do something doesn't mean that something isn't still an issue. And so Jesus confronts him. He critiques him. He asks him to do something different than he's already doing for the sake of the relationship. And as far as we can tell, Peter listens to him and he, and he accommodates him, which is something that you cannot do if you take everything personally and get offended easily. And how many of us would think or react in that moment to Jesus saying, like, listen, you are a temptation to me. You are working against me. I know you're not trying to, but I really, if you want to help me, do this differently. I wonder how many of us would have been like, Psh, that sounds like your problem, Jesus. <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't know that was going to make you mad. Like, you're, you're the one with the issue. Like, why should I have to change because you're feeling tempted? That's crazy. Why don't you do something different? I'm not changing for anyone. Okay, I got to be me. I'm keeping it real, Jesus. I think a lot of relationships end this way because of our rigidity. So why is it that we get so worked up over certain exchanges? You ever notice that like somebody can say something or do something or confront you about something in this area? Nothing. Over here, it's like, what is that? And I think there's a couple good reasons. One is that when we're not secure in who we are, even surface criticisms can shake our core identity. Like, if you don't have a good sense of who you are and what you value and what you want and what your strengths and weaknesses are, if you don't have a sense that you are loved and accepted as you are, then your identity is up for grabs. Everyone is constantly defining it and reshaping it at every imaginable moment. And so things can set you off because you don't know who you are. And so when someone says, like, hey, just, you know, next time, would you mind just picking your kids up a little bit earlier? We had with some of the, we had to stay a little bit late and it's just like, would you, if that would really please, okay, help us. And what you hear is you are a terrible mother. That's not what they said. That's not what they meant, but that's what you heard. Why did you hear that? Because you're not secure enough in yourself in that identity as a good mother. Maybe you haven't figured out what a good mother is, and so it's up for redefinement at all times. Sometimes we get triggered by these things. I think the second reason is that we get angry when people point out what we're afraid we are but don't want to be. We all have things where we're just like, man, this is probably an issue and I'm working on it. I have worked on it. That's not me anymore. I don't want to be that. I'm not going to be that. And then someone will point out like, oh, it seems like you're being like that. And you're like, what? You're like, I'm really trying to be attentive. I want to be attentive, whatever. And, and you're working on it and you're just like doing all this stuff. And someone's like, man, it seemed like you just weren't paying attention. And you're like, what? No, I was. No, I do. I was, Right? And it's such a big deal to you because it's an issue for you. And when someone says to you, like, hey, you know, just little, you're doing great, but I just, I want to talk to you about a plan, growth plan to get your numbers up. And what you hear in that moment is, you are a horrible team lead. You should not be doing this job. Everybody knows it. You're an imposter. That's not what they said. That's not even what they meant. But what they're pushing on is what you're afraid of. In fact, what I, what I think is true is that the only interactions we interpret as insults are those that expose our insecurity, which means when you feel something rising up within you in frustration, what you ought to ask yourself, what, what insecurity is this exposing in me that's setting me off? Most of us, of course, we don't do that. We don't want to admit to or address our own insecurities because it's way easier. We could just blame other people, right? That's a fun one. Label them as bad or mean or insensitive or toxic or hypocritical or narcissistic or whatever we're calling people derogatorily these days on Twitter. I wonder sometimes if you and I would have labeled Jesus as some of these words if he would have said to us what he said to Peter in the way he said it to him. Because sometimes we don't want to face us. 
I think sometimes we are tempted to believe that a good relationship is one where nobody ever hurts anybody else's feelings, nobody gets their feelings hurt, but in reality, there is no way to experience intimacy without exposing your insecurity. You cannot get close without letting people in. And that means when they do, they are going to hurt and offend you because they're not you and they're gonna step on some landmines. A lot of them probably unintentionally. And when they push that fear button in you, the relationship is gonna rupture. And the question is, what then? And for a lot of us, I think our knee-jerk reaction is, well, you just trash that relationship and you're done with those people and that's that. But real relationships are punctuated by a series of cycles of what's called rupture and repair. And maybe you're just like, what in the world is that? Let me, let me sort of clue you in. These are psychological terms um, that a therapist might use for the way relationships function. A rupture is a break in connection between people often caused by hurt or anger. We're misunderstood. Somebody confronts us. We get sensitive about something, right? There's all sorts of things that can cause a rupture, and we feel it, right? We feel that rift in our relationship. Like, I'm not close to you. I feel like we're not connecting. We're not on the same page. I feel like there's distance. There's weirdness in the energy between us, right? And then there's what's called a repair, which is an attempt to reconnect by showing empathy, warmth, acceptance, curiosity, and playfulness. And relationship experts tell us that everybody experiences ruptures, the healthiest relationships don't even necessarily experience less ruptures than unhealthy relationships. What is different is the presence of repair. Relationships experts tell us that the sooner you can initiate a repair after a rupture, the stronger a relationship will be. Because what it does is it sends this signal that like, I can dislike this thing you do and still have nothing but love for you. This one thing that I'm talking to you about right now does not define our entire relationship. And I want to make that really clear. And for some of us, this could not be more of a foreign concept because we grew up in an environment where if you did something someone didn't like, they would punish you for long periods of time by withdrawing all signs of empathy, warmth, acceptance, curiosity, and playfulness. They would emotionally and relationally torture you because you know what you did. They want you to feel the full weight of it. They want the rift to be very obvious because to them, maybe it's not just about this thing. They want you to feel like it's about the whole thing. And this affects the way that we see everything. One psychologist says this, when repeated ruptures occur without any repair, walls between people build up over time, love is replaced with resentment, causing the relationship to erode. If those were your formative experiences, every rupture feels like the end of a relationship. Do you know that feeling? Like every comment, every criticism, every critique, every change, every side-eye look, it's like, well, I guess this is over. They hate me. We're done. This is it. The weekend's done. The month's over. The relationship's garbage, right? Because that's the experience that we've had. But when you have a healthy cycle of rupture and repair, you don't fear conflict. You don't avoid confrontation. You don't live in a constant state of relational anxiety. So the big question is, if that's what you came up with, if that's all you know, if all you know in your relationship is not a cycle of like, like rupture, repair, rupture, repair, rupture, repair, if all you know is rupture, 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 little repair, not enough to make up for all the ruptures, and then a bunch more rupture, right? How do you begin to, 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 to retrain your instincts, to begin to, to perceive or to experience things differently? You know, there's some really great advice about this, of like taking a perceived, not taking a perceived conflict too, 
personally. This is crazy. Peter. This is what he wrote. He wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He says, sympathize with each other. That's how he comes out the gate. In other words, like asking yourself, I wonder what they're feeling or facing or caring or wrestling with that I'm not even aware of. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. You know what I tell my boys when they're fighting? They're like, I hate him. I'm never going to talk to him again. I'm like, that's going to be difficult because you guys share a room. (laughs) But also he's your brother. You're stuck with him for life, so you better figure it out. There's a little bit of that going on here. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't always assume that you know exactly what's going on. Assume that there's more to the story, right? Verse number nine, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when other people insult you. Oh, I'm Satan. You're Satan. Isn't that what we want to do? Instead, pay them back with a blessing. And Peter's literally saying, like, the more bruised you feel, the more you really ought to pay them back with a blessing because it will shift the dynamic between the two of you and it will begin to do things in your own heart that you need to give over to God. It sounds like he's saying, like, don't assume every rupture is intentional and personal. And when you do experience a rupture, be quick to repair. And where would, G- where would Peter get any of these ideas from? From his relationship with Jesus. Because this is how Jesus treated him. Regardless of how he grew up, what his parental dynamics were and all that, his relationship with Jesus redefined how he did all relationships. And it should for us too. Do you know what happened right after the scene where Jesus calls Peter Satan? This happens. Matthew chapter 17. This is the very next thing. Six days later, after the Satan moment, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up on a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched Jesus, uh, as the men watched Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. What? Is this not like the most hard to imagine insane scene that you could possibly think of? Like he, Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to do a hike. I'm only taking you guys. Let's go. They get up there and like, okay, cool. This is a hike. We're going to pray. That's cool. Like the clouds open up and the Jesus turns white and he floats up in the air. And they're like, oh, is that Moses and Elijah? And they're all talking. And like, if you're these people, you're like, what is going on? Peter is right there in the middle of it. And he's like, are you guys seeing this? They're like, we are definitely going to be writing this in the Bible. This is amazing. We want people to know about this scene later. Make sure I'm in the painting too, because I was here. I was here. I was one of the three. Only three people got to experience this. Okay? Me and two other people. I don't even care if your names are in there, guys. I'll be real with you, okay? I need people to know that I got to be here. The next chapter, right after Jesus tells Peter, don't say that. Don't do this around me. It doesn't work for me. That's a rupture. What does he do right next? He recruits Peter as one of only three people to experience this unbelievably exclusive supernatural event that he only invites his closest confidants to. It's his way of saying like that rupture doesn't define our relationship. It doesn't define who you are. It doesn't define how I see you. We can debate, we can discuss, we can have conversations, but we are on each other's side. We're in this thing for the long haul. No doubt Peter tucked that into his heart and affected and impacted the way he wrote his book later on about how to have great relationships because he felt like he learned from Jesus. And maybe you're thinking like, good for them. Great. Peter and made up with Jesus. It's awesome. My family still sucks. So what am I supposed to do? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I do have some practical. And this is what I want to give you. If you are feeling a relationship rupturing in your life, I want to suggest that you do three things. Just try them out, okay? And the first thing is this, to to acknowledge, to acknowledge. And here's what I want you to acknowledge. Three things to say to yourself. Think of them as like mantras. This likely isn't personal. 
It may be, but it's probably not. Why would you need to tell yourself that? Because there's already a voice in your head that's like, this is only personal. They are coming after me. They are out to get me, right? This likely isn't personal. Then tell yourself this, there is more to this situation than I can currently see. Why? Because your brain is already telling you, like what I see is all there is, which leads me to a lot of assumptions about how horrible they are or maybe how horrible I am. And then tell yourself this third thing, this third acknowledgement, relationships are hard work. I think sometimes we assume like, if it's a good relationship, it should just be easy. And we should just kind of like roll through and you should be able to read my mind and we never see things differently and whatever. And it's like, what plan are you living on? That's not how any relationship works. And sometimes we're like, I gotta get out of this thing because I have to try. Yeah, yeah, you do. So it's just reminding and acknowledging these things, sometimes even out loud, sometimes repeating them over and over and over again. And just like, God, imprint this on my heart. This likely is not personal. Remind me, God, that there's more to this story than I can currently see. God, remind me that relationships are work and I am dedicated, I'm devoted, I'm not scared of putting in that work. The second thing is something to ask and what I would encourage you to ask is this question of yourself first. What story am I telling myself about what's happening? Okay, there's what's happening. And then there's the story you tell yourself about it, which is more important and more powerful. What story am I telling myself about what's happening? And I'll tell you this, uh, it's fun to answer this question out loud with someone else there, because then you can kind of realize like, oh, that's a little crazy. This is also a great question to ask the other person. Sometimes when I'm like sensing something between my wife and I, I'm like, I don't know, something's off, something's there. She seems frustrated, annoyed, agitated. And I'm like, okay, I think I know like the facts in this. Maybe I don't. What story are you telling yourself about what's happening? And she's like, well, I mean, I, and she starts unraveling the story and I'm like, wow, I did, that is, your mind scares me sometimes. I'll be real with you, babe. I love you, but it's like, wow, it's, it can get dark in there. Uh, there was some, you know, because in my, the story I told myself was like, oh, I'm just going to be a little bit late, but it's going to be fine because, you know, I was wrapping something up and that means I'm not going to have to go in on Saturday and she's going to be happy with me. And I get home and she's not happy with me. And the story she was telling herself in that moment was, he's just out driving. He's taking the long way. He's finishing a podcast. He's circling the neighborhood. He doesn't care that we got dinner on the table because what he does and his work is more important than what I do and my stuff. He doesn't respect me. And I'm like, oh no, that's not it at all. You know what? You won't believe what's real. We only believe what we tell ourselves. So it's important to vet that story, to ask yourself like, what insecurity is this exposing? The insecurity at the base of it is the thing that we got to address. Not really the thing that's drawing the symptoms to the surface. And then is there anything I need to adjust? And Peter did, right? He was like, okay, yeah. So don't pull Jesus aside and be like, hey, maybe don't die on the cross. Like he doesn't like that. That does not work for him. I don't fully understand. He tried to explain it to me and I was just like, I don't get it. And then like way later, like 10 years later, I was like, oh, gotcha. Glad I made a change. The third thing is something to attempt, which comes from this question of like, how can I reconnect by, by showing them genuine empathy, warmth, acceptance, curiosity, playfulness, as soon as I'm able. And you may not be able to right away. Sometimes we can't switch gears that fast. Sometimes you're like, I need to take a walk, okay? I need to go hit. A, a bag of golf balls. So you're like, what are you going to hit? Um, just like something that is inanimate, okay? I, I need to calm down, but you know what? I want to re-engage as soon as I can because I want them to know that it's just a little rupture. And go all in on your repair. Let them know that it's not that you don't like them, that this one thing needs to be addressed, but you are for them and with them. And why would you do it? Because this is how God treats you. And we are called as his followers to follow in his footsteps. 
to like Peter ends up doing to the people around him, to live our relationships out according to our relationship with Jesus, not according to the worst relationships we've had. And you cannot do that in your own strength. You need God's help. And that's what I wanna pray into your life today, that God would give you the help you need to bring health and happiness to the center of your relationships. Would you guys bow your heads with me across this room? God, we just wanna acknowledge that you are here with us. You're always with us. Everything we are going through and experiencing is not a surprise to you. And you, you love us. You don't just wanna give us life, which you have done graciously, but you, you wanna show us the best way to live because you want us to enjoy our lives, to get the most out of our lives to experience what you call life to the full. And it is not possible without your help. In this moment, God, we just want to acknowledge that we cannot do things on our own and be everything you have made us to be. In this moment, we just want to open our hearts to you and acknowledge we need your help. Give us the power and the wisdom and the insight to move forward, to reflect you, to treat others how you've treated us because we've experienced your treatment of us. God, may you lead us forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.